Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. My name is Erin Molino Bailey. I am the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute. And my co-host, Dr. Kevin Caridad, who is the CEO and owner of Cognitive Behavior Institute. Today, we have a very special guest. Our guest today is attorney Dan Lynch, who is the founder and managing partner of the Lynch Law Group, a full service law firm with offices in Cranberry Township, Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, and as well as satellite office just located outside of New York City in Southport, Connecticut. Dan has been a practicing attorney for 28 years. He began his career at Reed Smith after completing a one-year clerkship for the Honorable James H. Brickley, Justice of the Michigan Supreme Court, and a one-year clerkship for the Honorable Car- Carol Los Mansman of the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. He served as CEO of the startup company startup software company, excuse me, and vice president and general counsel of a middle market logistics company before founding his own law firm in 2002. Dan is well known throughout the Pittsburgh business community as a success driven leader with a superior organization and communication skills and an entrepreneurial approach to his practice of law. So Dan, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, it's an honor to have you. I know we've worked very closely with you through the years. We've seen a lot of the things that um, you've been able to help us with on the legal side with our business. And so I just like to open up the conversation to kind of get your thoughts and insights on how businesses are you know, currently handling the COVID-19 pandemic, um, sorts, what sorts of things that you're seeing from your clients as far as liabilities that they need to be extra careful or have on their radar currently and kind of just open up the conversation from there. Well, excellent, um, Aaron. Thank you. Uh, and thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me uh, on your show. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with your guests. Uh, the, uh, what I'm seeing in the uh, business community is all over the board. You know, I've got clients in the hotel industry and, they're, and, and, the, and the restaurant industry and they're hurting. They're really hurting badly. Uh, some of them probably won't come back. Uh, and so <clears throat> because of, uh, because of what the government has done, shutting them down, continuously shutting them down and what just happened here in Pennsylvania yesterday, uh, it might be the nail in the coffin for a lot of, uh, restaurants. Uh, other businesses are thriving, right? Um, there are certain businesses that, you know, if you're in the service sector, um, it's business as usual, accounting firms, uh, law firms, consulting firms. Uh, anybody that helps businesses continue to do what they do, I think, are, 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 are maintaining or doing better. Um, so that's sort of a broad brush. I can go into a, a, a more detail if you like, but uh, it really is industry specific uh, in terms of feast or famine. Yeah, no, I think that that's great to hear. It sounds like, you know, everybody's in this regardless of industry, specific to the mental health industry. Uh, with regard to what do you think uh, are that you think relate to the general general pandemic, you know, risks that are out there, things to consider from business owners or leadership within uh, uh, a single practice proprietor, uh, a group practice, or maybe even uh, 
a research-based practice, uh, like at an academia. What, what are some of the concerns with the pandemic, do you think uh, people should be aware of what you've been hearing uh, and any, you know, any cases that you've heard to kind of to really make this concrete, less abstract would be helpful? Yeah, I, I think that the, uh, the biggest concern is around employees. Uh, business owners uh, need to be very conscientious and cautious about their uh, response and or reaction to uh, bringing COVID into the workplace. And, uh, you know, that, that's, we could have, we could have a, a two hour discussion about that, but the, from a high level, Kevin, the answer is this, employers need to um, have a plan. Uh, they need to act reasonably. Um, they, need to, um, they need to enforce their plan in terms of uh, quarantine, working from home if you can. Uh, I, I, if you can't work from home, then come into the office, but wear your mask, use hand sanitizer, keep people apart. Uh, if you're in a bullpen type atmosphere, um, then you need to have partitions, right? Everything that we're seeing out there, um, employers need to do to, to, to act reasonably. You know, everybody asks me about, well, what happens if I get COVID at, at work? Well, first of all, um, it's nearly impossible to prove where you get COVID, right? Because um, you can't tell me that um, w w if, you, if you contract COVID, uh, unless you've not gone to the grocery store or not gone to get gas or not gone to the convenience store or not uh, met a friend for lunch or breakfast, and all you did was lived in a tunnel between your, your home and your office, um, it's impossible to prove where you get, uh, where you can contract COVID. Having said that, it's a workers' comp claim. So for an employer, um, it's, it's not that big of a deal uh, because you've, you're covered under the um, Pennsylvania workers' comp statute uh, or your state-specific statute. Uh, but my, my, my general answer is act reasonably. Have a plan, enforce the plan, and make people act reasonably. Can you speak a little bit more about enforcement? Uh, I know there's a broad spectrum without getting to anybody's personal preferences, uh, but one's adherence to it. If you kind of set, you, you set up policy procedures, uh, you, know, uh, you know, when, when all the separations occur, enforcing, I, I'm, what pops into my mind is how do you enforce if even as a general idea in a private practice, there's less interaction in general, even in most private practices, because you're kind of in your own room with clients and interacting that way. So you can't be on people. So, uh, you know, what happens if uh, therapists behave differently in the room uh, outside of what you've, uh, you've outlined for them? Or, yeah, well, that's sort of interesting. Um, but our, our business and, and like your business, right, we encourage people to, <clears throat> to meet via Zoom uh, or Teams if you can. If it's absolutely essential that you meet in person, then people come to the office, they get their temperature taken, uh, they write their name down for contract, uh, contact tracing purposes. Uh, if they have a slight fever, if they answer the questions about, have you been around somebody with COVID or are you feeling okay? If they answer those um, in a negative fashion, then you have to ask them to leave and reschedule or to conduct via Zoom. Uh, now, uh, Kevin, you ask an interesting question. What happens if once you get into, uh, if you're in person and uh, you're supposed to wear your mask the whole time, but somebody says, you know, I hate these masks and you take it off. I don't think there's anything you can do about that. Um, what I always do is I always leave it up to the 
to the comfort of the person that I'm meeting. If they want to wear a mask, I wear a mask. If they say, I don't want to wear a mask, then I say, okay, I don't want to wear a mask either. What I do try to do, though, is be in an environment where you can at least socially distance, right? Where we're not on top of each other. We can sit six, seven, eight feet apart uh, across a conference room table instead of right next to each other or across from each other. You separate a little bit. One of the controversies I'm hearing is, is that individuals, even the clinicians themselves, are taking masks off once they're in the room. Uh, as someone who's an employer of that, are there any risks? Uh, yeah. how, how would one mitigate that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a problem. And I think that you, if you have a policy that says, look, you have to wear your mask during the entire session, you need to advise your client up front, like this is our policy now. Uh, we're in too close quarters or too confined quarters. You're gonna wear your mask the entire session and uh, the therapist is going to wear the mask the entire session, and that's just the rule. Uh, and then if somebody violates that rule, um, A, then you tell the customer that you can't help them anymore, or B, you tell your therapist that you, you can't work here anymore. You just have to enforce it that strictly. Yeah, we've done some, some mitigation steps when it comes to clients um, who do uh, prefer to come in person, which we know there's not very many right now, but there are some for, you know, specific reasons. And we've implemented some measures where, you know, they're not waiting in the waiting room, they're waiting in their car, they're sending us a text when they've arrived, um, they're taking, you know, precautions to ask themselves um, health questions before they arrive, as well as our therapist. So I think all those things um, are important to, like you had said, had said, to outline to have a clear plan um, for your clients so that they know exactly what the rules are, what what the, and to have those clearly posted and communicated. Um, can you give us a little bit of your thoughts on, you know, everyone talks about 2021, eventually things going back to normal, but we know that a magic wand is not going to just wave. And, you know, we, we know that, that these kinds of precautions are probably going to stick with us um, for, for a long time. Do you have any thoughts on how you see maybe things getting slowly back to normal for certain businesses, but then, you know, being cognizant of um, continuing to be careful, even, you know, after the vaccine comes out? Yeah, I think that's a really great question, Erin. Uh, with a vaccine that is uh, supposed to be out within a week, <clears throat> uh, I, that's going to... Uh, that's going to change, I think, give everybody a, a sense of security uh, and give businesses confidence that, uh, that things are going to get back to normal. But the question that I think you ask is, what is normal, right? Um, I think travel is going to be reduced significantly because of this experience, right? Because we're able to meet like this and not have to travel, get in a car and go to each other's office. I remember when I first started uh, out at Reed Smith as a, as a young lawyer, I'd get on a plane um, at six or seven in the morning, fly to New York City, land, get in a car, get to the city by maybe 9.30, have a meeting at 10 until noon, go to lunch, uh, head for the airport at 1.30. My flight would be at 2.30. I'd land at uh, 3.30 or 4 and be home by 5 or 5.30. That, that was a thing. That's not going to happen anymore. Nobody's, nobody's going to do that. Um, and so this, uh, this uh, COVID experience will have, will have changed the industry, industries and our world forever. Um, 
so there are things that are, are not going to not going to go back to, to what we refer to as normal. Does that answer your question? It does. And and one of the things that we're hoping that um, that as a result of that is is we hope that insurance companies that did not previously allow for virtual telehealth. Um, we're hoping that the that you know them temporarily allowing it for you know plans such as Medicare or you know certain commercial plans that were never required to have a virtual option. Um, we're hoping that by showing the a good impact, I'll call it, of um, virtual being an option to deliver care and breaking down those barriers of access to care. Um, we know that that is, um, you know, it's, we know it's more convenient for people. We know that people with transportation barriers, it's very helpful with. And we know that people in rural communities, especially with low access to care, have greatly benefited. Um, and we now know that the world can operate on a virtual platform. So we're really hoping that um, this pandemic has actually pivoted us forward uh, years, if not a decade, uh, showing that it is possible and hopefully that um, that option will always be there for insurance companies um, to offer virtual care so that, you know, clients can, we can have a greater reach and impact for clients. So that's something we're hoping to see, you know. I, I think you're, you're spot on, Aaron. I And I think that if I, I didn't realize that insurance companies wouldn't pay for uh, uh, teletherapy or video therapy like this. And so I think that uh, everybody uh, that's listening should write to their legislators, write to their senators, write to their congresspeople and get the word out there that this is this is the new normal. Right. This I like the way you put that, um, Aaron. It's eventually going to happen, right? It's eventually insurance companies will eventually pay for this. It's just that the future came sooner, right? Exactly. COVID brought the future to us a lot quicker than it otherwise would have been. Exactly. Exactly. I know that Kevin um, being in the NASW is, you know, very dedicated when it comes to advocacy. And one of the things is we created a group um, called ACT, which is the um, for uh, advocates for the coverage of teletherapy. And so, um, Kevin, do you want to just speak a little bit to to that right now? Because sure. I think, you know, this is a great time in the conversation where we can kind of mention sure. a little bit about that. I've heard a lot of talk about legislation, but it's my understanding and it's still like that. There is no legislation uh, regulating in the state of Pennsylvania telebehavioral health. Uh, and I know that as a result of that, that's why several insurance companies hadn't covered it prior to the pandemic and state of emergency, including Medicare except and Medicaid, except for exceptions and waivers by the state due to rural areas or what have you, which all have been currently been lifting. And so what we're hoping is as a result of the pandemic, one is you see improved access and cost controls, uh, hopefully overall, and that, that will then, uh, they'll see the light to that. But oftentimes, who knows if everything goes back to normal in six to eight months, whether the insurance companies will kind of, that weren't covering beforehand because there's no law will reverse. And so what we're doing is we're building pressure here by, uh, we have at least think about 1500 people from Pennsylvania signed on now, but we wanna have that mass pressure to come to bear uh, if it looks like it's not going to go to the way, which uh, it should. And I think consumers along with clinicians are all on board. So I think uh, it, it wouldn't make sense, but we're not going to leave any any stone unturned. And so we're prepared for that. So anybody happen to be listening, uh, we'll put that uh, a link below for that. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts about advocacy from a, from a large perspective, Dan, and in, in uh, large policy like this? Yeah, it, it's working out fine. Judges are conducting um, uh, 
status conferences, even oral arguments via uh, Zoom or Teams. Uh, and I, I don't see any reason why judges won't continue to do that. You know, when you're out of state and you're in court, uh, judges allow you, allow you to participate by phone. And so now why, what's the difference? Why don't we just do a video call, save people the time and effort from going into a big city, uh, aggravation with parking. Uh, there's, you know, our world continues to speed up and speed up. Aaron, you're, you're young, you don't remember this, but there used to be a time when we didn't have email and we conducted business via, um, via letters and US mail. Kevin, you might remember that. Um, and, and so imagine, imagine writing a letter I send it to Kevin. He gets it in about three days. It sits on his desk for a day or two. He then pens a letter back and puts it in the mail, sends it to me, and I get it in about three days. Two weeks have now gone by, whereas now with email, it happens just like that, right? Within 10 seconds, I send Kevin an email, boom, he rifles something back. Less than 30 seconds, we have correspondence. Well, now, with because of the COVID crisis, we have now accelerated even more than email, right? I now no longer have to drive to Pittsburgh or drive to Erie um, or drive to Greensburg or drive to New York where I have cases or Nashville where I have cases. We just do it like this. So no driving, no flying, video conferencing with the judge, opposing counsels on the screen, judges on the screen. Um, I'm on the screen. We conduct our business and we're done. So again, what we've done is we've brought the future to the present that much quicker. And I think it's gonna to continue to happen in my industry, uh, in your industry, and in, um, in industries that will tolerate it, it's going to happen. Absolutely. Any other risks are you hearing out there related to COVID that you think business owners, small or, or medium size should be considering? Uh, as I, we started out talking about the employees you, um, and your customers, right? You have to act reasonably uh, have, have hand sanitizer available. Here's the risk, Kevin. If you don't ask, re act reasonably and somebody contracts COVID in your, or, or thinks they contracted COVID in your workplace, if you haven't taken the necessary steps, then you're more likely to get the finger pointed at you. But if you take the necessary steps of, um, you know, taking your temperature, um, asking the questions, having hand sanitizer available, um, keeping people six feet apart, wearing your masks in a tight um, in a tight conference room. If you follow all those rules, then I think you really mitigate your risk. And that's for employees and customers. Um, as far as uh, other risks that employers are facing, uh, I think it's a it's a consequential result of COVID, and that is lack of business. Um, that's that's the biggest risk that you're going to lose customers or suffer activity uh, because people aren't engaging in the business that you're in as often or frequently. So, um, so the real risk is uh, you can't conduct business as usual. You've got to go out there and continue to uh, beat the drum of your, of your business sector and, and bring the customers in the door. Yeah, those are all those are all great points. Um, well, everything that you've said here with us today, Dan, I think is something that you know people in our industry can appreciate when it comes to safely continuing to provide care to their clients. Um, being a business owner sometimes is not easy, and when you have you know you throw in a global pandemic on top of 
uh, a time when so many people are struggling, um, you know, it can be quite stressful for all that are involved. So we, we really appreciate you uh, joining us here today to shed light on all of these topics. Um, you know, we've worked closely with you and you're always providing great insights and advice. So we, we truly do appreciate you here being with us today. Yeah, yeah. one of the things I, the benefit of having someone like Dan is when you have those processes in place early on or when you finally realize you need them, uh, they do cost a little, a little bit or a significant amount of time, but it's an investment that prevents greater costs down the road. And so Dan, if someone wanted to reach out and see what the benefits are uh, as much as they were for us, you know, how should they reach out to you? What, what is your website? What is your contact information? How can they, they, they reach you? Yes, uh, thank you, uh, Kevin. And, and thank you guys for having me. Um, I'm glad to talk about these things. Uh, the best way to get a hold of our firm is uh, to call the office at 724-776-8000. Uh, our website is www.lynchlaw-group.com. Uh, you can check us out there and call the office. If you have any questions, I'd be glad to answer them. Um, you know, you, you keep asking me about the risks associated with, with running a business during this, uh, this uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. And one thing that we didn't touch on that I, I want to leave your audience with is compliance. Uh, mm -hmm. Compliance with uh, federal legislation for your employees. Um, there's something called the Families First Coronavirus uh, Response Act. And that is, um, that is a tumultuous statute to navigate in terms of employees who say, look, I've been exposed, or I think I have the virus, or I have a kid that's in, that's in school, or I don't have daycare. And, some, and that, that statute requires that we pay, that employers pay people uh, um, for up to two weeks without having to come to work. And that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of employers, but it's a required by national legislation, federal legislation. And so if an employer runs afoul of that, there could be trouble. So um, if you have those issues as a business owner, it would be really beneficial to get with your lawyer to talk about what are your responsibilities vis-a-vis -vis the federal legislation. And so with that, I think um, is a good way to wrap it up. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Um, that's definitely something uh, like you had mentioned that can be you know, quite cumbersome to navigate on your own. So it is always beneficial to have someone in your corner like yourself who can assist with that. So thank you very much for, for alerting that our listeners to that. Um, well, Dan, like I said, thank you so much for, for joining us and thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning in this week. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Cognitive Behavior Institute, as well on our Facebook page, uh, both Cognitive Behavior Institute and the CBI Center for Education. Uh, we do invite all of our listeners to please uh, check us out on our website, www.cbicenterforeducation.com where we provide low-cost, robust, continuing education trainings uh, with our goal of continuing the clinical efficacy of behavioral health professionals. So please do check us out there, as well as tune in to our future podcast. If, if you're able to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, that's great so others can find us. And thank you, everyone, as well as Dan and Kevin, for being with us this week on The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast. Check out our website at cbicenterforeducation.com for more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events.